Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back. Today, it's fantastic to have Tom Beardsmore on the show, as we're going to talk all about gaming, which is a very exciting space to be in at the moment. He is known as 100 most influential UK game developers. Tom is also the CEO and co-founder of CodeSync Software, whose mission is to create games players love. His company is running over 10 years, and now has almost 100 employees. Tom's company started creating platformer and puzzle games for console and PC, before moving into VR, making games for Samsung Gear VR and Oculus Go. More recently, some of the most successful, some of the successful titles include the VR game Augmented Empire, the Oculus Go launch title They Suspect Nothing, and the online multiplayer solution for Bone Loaf's massively popular Gang Beasts. Today, we're going to learn a bit more about Tom, how he got into gaming, what inspired him to start his own company, talk about some of the challenges he faced and how he overcame them, we want to touch on COVID-19 and how impacted this impacted his industry and what does the future hold. So welcome to the show, Tom. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ken. I know. Thank you. And thank you for your time today. So could you start by just telling us a bit about yourself? Sure. So I actually started my career in writing. I studied creative writing and screenwriting back in university with a view to, uh, to getting into TV primarily, because I never thought I really had the technical skill for games. But somehow I fluked my way into a job at Blizzard in 2008, working in Cork, near where you are, Ken. Yeah, fantastic. And, and uh, I worked there until 2009. End of 2009, a uh, longtime friend of mine, Paul, and I decided to um, start our own company. So we started working on that. We built a mobile game called Pinch for iOS. And really the root of all of this is because Paul and I had come from, Paul had several years working at large game studios, but I'd had a just, yeah, I think probably about a year and a half working at Blizzard. And we found that although it was great to work at these big companies and you had a lot of great experiences, because it's such a huge operation, you don't necessarily feel creatively independent at a large yeah. studio a lot okay. of the time because there's such a lot to do. You're only doing a small task on, a, on such a hard, large project. In my case, it was World of Warcraft primarily. So really, Paul and I wanted to be creatively independent. So we thought we were still young at the time. I think I was 23. Paul will have been oh, the same. Awesome. We decided to take the jump and have a go at doing our own thing. So yeah, like I say, we built this iOS game called Pinch. And we released that in 2010. And then we formed a company called CodeSync, which was started as a joke. <laughs> joke name which the explanation for that is actually on our website if anybody's interested and from there we went on like you say to uh, to build for uh, playstation and we started working with oculus at the same time we were working with bone loaf on gang beasts and both of those things kind of spiraled to the point where like you say we'd um i think we actually just passed over 100 employees wow, and certainly with so. contract with contractors i think we're around 105 110 i don't know if we'll stay that size we'll okay. see how it goes it's a lot to manage, it's, right. but it's it's certainly still fun at the moment, and the projects we're working on are really exciting. So, 
Cool. But you know, when you were going back to that time when you started the company, did you yeah. just, did both of you give up your jobs and start kind of immediately or did you kind of work both mix of evenings? No, we, we gave up the jobs. Uh, wow. Actually, you know what? I think that's Paul had just been made redundant because his company went under. Okay. Uh, which, as if you know the games industry, can happen quite frequently, especially to companies that are in some way working as a work-for-hire operation. If that work dries up, that's it, yeah. game over. So we that was another thing that uh, kind of drove it to not just be creatively independent for the personal enjoyment of that, but uh, also to be product-based so that we're not necessarily reliant on income from another company. In okay. case something happens to the company, you know, so we knew it would be a long grind and it has been because it's much harder to pick up work where people are funding you to do your own projects. Okay. And equally, it's very hard to make a game that's successful enough to fund a large operation. Right. Okay. Um, and so we've, we've managed to do that to the extent that it is now, but it's taken 10 years. You know, some people might, you could get a, a pile of investment and grow very rapidly but then you might run into issues as a result of that. You know, you're relying, you're answering to someone else. So it's not a lot of time when you're a big invested company. You're not really maybe as in, in charge as you would hope. Yeah, that's very interesting. I do believe it takes years to build any sort of company. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and the challenges are just are hard. So literally, yeah. you know, I saw it wasn't the case. So you developed that first game and it was like an overnight success and it just took off wasn't that that wasn't the case no 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 definitely not <laughs> no that would have been nice and we definitely yeah. dreamed about it but uh, no it was critically very well received which was cool okay. so that led to people been coming to us and saying oh do you want to do a bit of this and a bit of that and we bootstrapped for a little while to fund our own stuff and then i think it was 2013 we were working on a game called shoe which we managed to get funding from playstation london an organization called Strategic Content, which I believe still exists now, perhaps under a different name. Okay. And they funded us for limited exclusivity on PlayStation 4 and Vita. And uh, that was the first like, proper success of our own IP. And then subsequently, 2014, saw um, us start working with Oculus, which was pre-Facebook acquisition. So they had recently received Kickstarter funding of $2 million. And so they gave us a small amount, I think it's fine to say $50,000 to build a game called Esper, okay. which was a launch title for the Gear VR. And uh, it became popular amongst that small, that limited audience to the extent that when Facebook acquired Oculus for $2 billion, which wow. is around, I want to, I don't know, I think it was late, maybe late summer 2014, Oculus came back to us and like, oh, now we've got a lot, a lot more money. <laughs> want to do more projects. And subsequently, we're we're on our seventh project with them now, and each one has scaled dramatically. Um, you know, going from five people to I think the the latest one has uh, has almost sixty people working on it. So wow, it's, it's incredible! Well, I, yeah. I want to come back to that VR because that's quite interesting. Yeah, like, sure. But that first, I mean, the Oculus. How how did you get in touch with those guys? Did they come to you first, or did you? We were lucky break, was it? Yeah, it was. So uh, there was two things happened. We were working. We were fans of it. We were Kickstarter backers of the project. Right. And then by chance, a acquaintance of mine who is now a friend started working for Oculus and he was based in Newcastle. Okay. And he came to us and a number of other studios with this proposition of, do you want to work with us? We have a small amount of budget, build something cool. And uh, we pitched a few ideas and they liked one of them. 
and that's how it kicked off. And that, that friend of mine is called Callum Underwood. And uh, as if I don't mention him, he is this. <laughs> You'll be in trouble. <laughs> in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But did you know anything about VR at that stage? I mean, yeah, we so we we'd been prototyping all kinds of stuff in our own time for okay. VR. Yeah, I think Kickstarter was 2013, so we'll have been prototyping stuff. We actually made a prototype for a game for an idea called The Climb, which was a climbing VR game. Mm-hmm. Which subsequently Crytek went and built a the exact same name, the exact same concept. They'd never seen our work. This was right. just. Coincidence, yeah. Uh, coincidence, yeah. But they went and built a huge AAA version of this game that we had a concept <laughs> for called The Climb, and also called it The Climb. So uh, that was a funny coincidence. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's always focused now on VR, or do you still work across different platforms? And- the, so as we've had more success, because mm. the Oculus stuff has obviously increased, then we've had significant game sales across a number of games, but most prominently Gang Beasts has sold millions and millions of units now, and, and we have a, um, a revenue share in that. That's been great for us. So what we've been doing is using the money from the Gang Beast sales to fund publishing, Okay. So as well as some internal stuff, but uh, principally publishing. And uh, so we, we have uh, six titles in the works, for a publishing arm of our uh, company, which is we have a marketing team, which is about seven people who work principally on those. And we have a producer assigned to each of those projects. And then we have a couple of internal projects, which are probably about 15 people per project working on those. Yeah. And then we have the larger stuff. And there's a couple of other smaller bits and pieces going on as well. Like for example, there's a game called Kingdom Two Crowns, which we've been working with Raw Fury on for years, and uh, as a co-developer on that, in the same similar kind of way as Gang Beast, and that's been a fantastic game to work on. That started because it, we were just big fans of the original game, and we managed to get work on, on the sequel. Wow! So, is it a same? I mean, is it a kind of a small connected industry then? Would you say, or is it regional based? How does it? It definitely feels small and connected in the UK. Okay. Um, I get, my experience is not vast. Only 10 years doing this kind of thing and only really five years of being a proper company, I would okay. say, to the point where people would recognize me in the industry a little bit. So, and, uh, and uh, it, similarly, five years of properly going to conventions and conferences like GDC in, in uh, San Francisco and, uh, and E3 in LA. It definitely feels a lot larger in the US still. Right. There is a lot of people that I would not, I don't know over there. But uh, it's been great to work with companies like Oculus because they have such extraordinarily experienced and good people in their oh. team that it's that kind of opens doors in more ways than than you'd imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. How about other country? I mean, is there kind of hubs yeah. like other countries in Europe or Asia? Yeah, um, I mean Japan, China as well, of course, uh, growing. But going to Tokyo Game Show or Bit Summit is a pleasure. I was hoping to go to Bit Summit this year, actually, and of course wasn't able. Mm. That was supposed to be uh, end of April, May. Yeah. Uh, where else? Uh, yeah, I mean Europe, all over, really. Germany, France. Right. Okay. So uh, it's yeah. Uh, and is I mean, how big is it in the UK? I mean, is it a massive industry there? Is it really a leading industry? Would you say? Or it is. It is. I did. I did know this. I did know the figures. I can't remember if it was a, it may be 150 billion annual worldwide, 
or it may be 150 billion UK. It's probably worldwide because <laughs> that seems like a lot, but certainly it's vast in the it's UK. There's enormous potential. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And how about this COVID nineteen? I mean, how is that impacting? Mm. Good or bad? Or uh, it has been mostly fine. We've noticed we've had a bit of slowdown in some projects, particularly the larger ones, just because there is an inherent slowdown in communication because of people aren't just all gathered together in a single room. So they're not allowed to, they're not able to just jump in on conversations yeah. with, as e- with each other as easily as they might in an office. And also things that you wouldn't, you don't really think about like people's network connections at home are slow. So if they're downloading yeah. a build, which is several gigabytes, if not terabytes, in the office with a huge fast connection that takes 20 minutes at home it takes four hours and similarly if they're uploading yeah. even worse so yeah there there are problems that you wouldn't expect that do cause slowdown yeah okay interesting just going back to you know when you set up the company that time and also for you know other developers i would be thinking oh, i've got a great game i think it'd be great to set up my own company i mean what were kind of the bigger challenges that you didn't expect or you had to overcome and how did you? I mean, I know you mentioned funding already, for example. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, marketing, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Mar- marketing, definitely. The things we did a lot of things wrong. So we focused on the games, which is important and probably the most important thing. But we completely ignored the need for marketing and funding. I guess the thing that kept us afloat in that first year or so was grant support from local networks. So in our case, there was a thing called the uh, digital city fellowship fund, which gave Paul and I about a few thousand each to keep us afloat for six months. And then after that, we we started, it was not much, no, Mm. but when we were still living like students, we were okay. Uh, (laughs) You don't mind. uh, No. Yeah. It was, Yes, and I think that's probably something to bear in mind if you have a lot of dependencies. Because back then I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have yeah. a car, or I did have a car. It was a cheap piece of crap, and uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't have kids. You know, doing it at this stage would would be a lot more difficult. And at this stage, I would probably have to think about, well, I need some startup funding, some right. serious startup funding. So it's benefited us starting at that early age in terms of we now own 100% of our company, and our company's worth millions. Yeah, so it's well a, it's good in that regard and we don't answer to anybody except ourselves we can literally kind of do what we want but doing that now would be really hard yeah with all these dependencies and some of the games you developed you know it's, it's interesting like some of the games that you might have expected to be massive and they just flopped have you had experiences like that and vice versa of flops yeah of games oh yeah <laughs> you're smiling yeah. so it's yeah. been a good few weather i don't know oh yeah i mean yeah so I'm trying to think. I think probably we were very heavily involved in somewhere between five and ten games before we had a a success, like a proper success. And we were lucky because that proper success was a huge success. Gang Beast is a a huge success. And that was 2015, 2016 onwards. But then then since then, we've had a few more, like Kingdom, Two Crowns, the one I mentioned, is, uh, is, is done really, really well as well. And we talked about VR. The interesting thing about VR is it's so we've been obviously been working on it since uh, 2004, uh, 2014. In the last year or so, you've probably seen there's been some huge successes come out of VR. Like the big one, of course, is Beat Saber. Obviously, Oculus have acquired Beat Saber recently, but that game I'm sure was getting on for 100 million grossed. 
something oh. like that, which is really, and that's a small, that's a tiny independent game originally. And similarly, there's other games that have done something super hot on Quest and uh, Rift, PSVR, um, you're missing one. And uh, what else have we got? There's lots of other smaller, more exclusive titles for Oculus Quest, like uh, Vader Immortal, the Star Wars game, which is oh. done amazingly. And a lot of others, Pistol Waypoint. And we've seen similar success in our titles. So we did a launch title called Shadow Point for Quest, and it did by far and away better than any of our other VR games have done. So we hope that this success will be uh, multiplied with our next title as well, which is a much larger game. So that's been fantastic to see because the effort that's been put in behind the scenes by the often much maligned people at Facebook or executives at Facebook, who are actually all great people in my experience, is they've been putting in is unbelievable. So the, to see the success paying off is great. I don't know, I read Apple also invested in a big VR company recently. Yeah, I think they've done a few things over the last few years and nobody really knows what direction they're going in. They'll probably just pop out with something and it'll be beautiful. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> we are hearing from Apple. But uh, yeah. But do you see VR now being, I mean, the future and where to go or is it just one of those? Yeah. Things? No, I think it'll continue. I think, I think it's here to stay now. I think it's too big now to go anywhere. I don't know the figures for how many Quest units have, have sold, but I know that they are perpetually sold out everywhere. And the Quest is unbelievable because not only can you use it as a standalone headset and yeah. there are so many games that look great on it, you can plug it into your PC and use it. It's the same way as a, as a Rift or a Vive or, or anything like that. So you, you're, it's such a great piece of hardware and it works so well. They really did nail it. Wow. I was actually looking at them at the weekend, funny enough. Mm. Mm. Looking back yeah. with dry, just fucking sold out. <laughs> yeah. It's going to eBay and get rinsed if you want one. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? But in terms yeah. of success yeah. for these games, what does success look like? I mean, is it the number of players? How do you measure mm. success in terms of game? I guess it depends on what kind of game you're building. So if you're building something that is multiplayer-centric and perhaps freemium, which is a thing to an extent in VR, but maybe not so much. But certainly multiplayer games, then it's about players. It's about CCUs and, and stuff like that. But if it's a, a single-player experience in any way, and it's a premium game, then it's more about units sold compared to the investment, I guess, like anything. So okay. uh, I would say that most of the VR content out there are independent projects, so relatively low budget. So their success, their levels... I guess they're, what is the word I'm looking for? What they need to get back to categorize their project as a success is less than AAA would be. They were spending millions and millions on a project. And what would you say are the minimum entry criteria now to, for somebody to start in the gaming, start their own gaming company? I mean, is, it, uh, is there a way you could judge that or measure that? I mean, is it funding? There, no, it, there are there are one man teams who who make incredible games. So oh, okay. I say one man, one person. It could be any yeah. uh, one person teams who have incredible success. One that comes to mind is the developer of Stardew Valley, which I don't know if you've heard of, but uh, that's enormously successful farming simulator game. One developer, some support developers around, but uh, primarily just them and. There's another one that name escapes me that's coming for the next-gen Xbox that they announced, which is, it looks like a AAA first-person shooter that has a 200-man team working on it, and it's a uh, it's a one guy, one insane 
person who's built this thing. So there's uh, the barrier for entry. There is the, the answer is there isn't one really. It's uh, okay. personal skill level, a little bit of luck, getting it in front of the right eyes at the right times so that people will give it the boost that it yeah. needs. Yeah. Wow, very interesting. And I, yeah, because um, on that point, oh, it's interesting. Only one person I thought it would be massive funding, any massive budgets, mm, marketing, mm. this kind of stuff. But clearly, okay, if you get it's a possible. bit of luck, it is possible yeah. to break into this industry. Yeah. Um, but do you focus on a certain game console? If somebody's breaking in, would they focus on a certain game console, or does it make, or is it just kind of go kind of across um, the spectrum? I guess for a one-person team, it's very difficult to hit. Multi-platform is a very is quite tricky because of the amount of um, optimization and, and configuration that you and porting work that you have to do to get on multiple platform. So I guess I would say that most people, most small teams or individual developers, focus on PC because that's the low, lowest barrier to entry. PCs are the most powerful, and they have probably still the largest audience. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, it's. If you so, what what drives us to focus on a specific platform principally is the business deals that can be had with the first parties. You know, if somebody's going to come along and give you money to make a game exclusive, it's difficult to turn that down if the numbers make sense. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then you just have to balance the ownership and yeah, after that, basically. Yeah. How do you come up with the ideas for these games, uh, Tom? Is it, I mean, is it like having a lot of beers and saying, oh, this is a great idea, let's do it? Some, sometimes it's that. There's been, <laughs> there's been a couple of hours that have been dreamt up, literally. I remember there's, I think it was the Augmented Empire that you mentioned earlier, yeah. I dreamt up initially. And then we had, but then they, they come from multiple people because you'll have somebody, so in Augmented Empire's case, a great programmer on the team called Marty who came up with a prototype for a type of game. Okay, and then that got mixed with an idea for a, I guess, a world and a context for me and a name, and then a writer gets involved on our side called John Davies, who builds this lore and everything around the game. So the answer is that it's very rarely one person. Okay, and so if you, at least, I mean, I know we talked about the individual developers, but for a large team like ours, where more complex projects, multi-platform projects. It's very rarely just one person. There's a, a mixture of ideas that come together. Oh, very yeah. interesting. Thanks, Tom. Mm-hmm. What does the future hold for you and your company? Oh, who knows? I never imagined we'd have more than 10 people. So who knows? We've already surpassed our own expectations dramatically. We would like to continue the publishing stuff because it's really nice to help and work with smaller teams. Mm-hmm. And the greatest successes we've had have been in partnerships with people. So. I guess the uh, the advice I give to anybody who wants to build a team is to uh, surround yourself with the right people. And that goes for your own team members, but also the partnerships that you make have to be with the right people, people who are nice, well-meaning, and also well-funded, <laughs> you know, especially when you're working with the first parties. But in general, invest in people is the most critical thing. And so we continue to do that. We hope the future holds more cool games that come out of those partnerships. Amazing. Listen, Tom, thank you for your time today. If somebody wants to get in touch with you or reach out, I mean, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, my pleasure. I'm on Twitter, like everybody. Uh, my uh, Twitter name is at whyalwaysmad, the, world, the <laughs> word why always mad. Again, okay. one of these things I had from, you know, 2010, 2009, when I was still a, a stupid student. 
And uh, otherwise, you can email me, tomb at codesync.com. Awesome. Fantastic. Listen, yeah. Tom, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. Yeah. No, my pleasure, Ken.